Before we begin this episode, I want to let you know about a new training opportunity produced by The Hearth. If you're interested in the power of story to heal, enrich, and mobilize communities for good, well, we lead an online training in community storytelling. You can find that offering and other programs, including our free monthly story sharing gatherings at our website, thehearthcommunity.com. Now on to our program. This is Homebound Oregon, a podcast created for the age of the pandemic, set in the town of Ashland, Oregon, right here in the foothills of the Cascade and Siskiyou Mountains. So we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of hashtag virus life, and we've acclimated here in Oregon. We're wearing our masks, we're pumping cleanser onto our hands and toothbrushes. And like towns across the United States, we are grateful here in Oregon that the vaccine is being distributed. They're giving shots at the Jackson County Fairgrounds and at local pharmacies. But to be honest, some of us are a little conflicted about the pandemic ending. We had big plans for quarantining. We were going to read Jane Austen. We were going to buy yarn and knit a sweater. We were going to organize the family pictures. We were going to do a juice cleanse. We were going to take advantage of the silence and solitude to change and become wiser, smarter, healthier, more organized people. We were going to become Marie Kondo. But instead, just one year in, we're out of shape, more disorganized, less literate. Instead of Marie Kondo, we've become Guy Fieri. And we've run out of television here in Oregon. We've used up all the television, decades of actors, writers, camera operators working billions of hours to create these magical spectacles of entertainment. And we burned through all of it in a year. We've seen every action hero from Jason Bourne to Baby Yoda, a million car chases, we've seen thousands of sex acts, and not between humans. We've watched the mating acts of orcas, koala bears, humpback whales, the alpine grub, and it has been riveting, and we have consumed all of it. All we have left is our one-hour and 30-minute installment of The Bachelor, which is carefully broadcast one week at a time, like a morphine drip. Lately, pandemic life has reminded me of way back in the day when I was attending public high school. That trapped feeling, that mixture of anxiety, depression, and listlessness. Those seemingly eternal days staring forward for hours under the fluorescent lights. But I remember also during that eternity called high school, how incredible it was when there was an inbreaking of love. I remember sitting one Valentine's Day in sophomore English when the door opened and an office assistant interrupted the teacher and said, Is Mark Iaconelli here? The teacher pointed to me. The assistant walked up, set on my desk a little carnival glass vase with a red rose and a pink paper note taped to the side. I opened the note and there was written, Happy Valentine's Day to the cutest boy in the sophomore class. Signed, your secret 
admirer. Suddenly, adrenaline was shooting through my veins. The room went from black and white to color, and the world shifted on its axis. Someone liked me. Someone found me likable. I was capable of being liked. And as anyone who watches The Bachelor understands, that when you receive someone's loving gaze and attention, within you is evoked this delicious mixture of pain and longing, lover and beloved. So we're hoping this episode will offer a little respite from the dull, anxious depression of this pandemic. You know, if you go back 5,000 years, you transport a Mesopotamian woman to a Costco somewhere in America, she wouldn't recognize a thing, be completely bewildered. The clothes, the electric lights, all the packaging, wheels. But if she saw two young people standing back against a wall, touching each other greedily, making eye contact, pressing lips, she'd think, ah, okay, these are the human beings. Love is what makes us human. Love is what the mystics claim to be the highest spiritual attainment. Love is how our lives are measured by friends and family when we die. So in this episode, amidst the gray monotony of the coronavirus, we're going to try and get in touch with our capacity for love. We have a couple of songs, some conversation, and a local story to help us all explore this apex of human experience. Walking down Harrison Street, one of these clear winter days in Ashland, you're likely to hear music coming from the backyard of a small craftsman house. Hannah Stone has been recording outside when weather permits, safely social distancing from other musicians. Hannah herself is a performer and songwriter who fled to the safety and welcoming mountains of Ashland, Oregon when the pandemic hit. She and her bandmates have been recording an album of Hannah's original music, and I stopped by their little house on Harrison Street on a cold February night to talk with her about love and music. I asked her if she experiences songwriting as an act of love. Anytime you're putting your time and your energy into making something to give to the world, whether or not they receive it, I think it is an act of love. inspires people, whether it be inspired by the words or by the music, whatever it is, I would hope that, you know, it, it would arouse some sort of feeling and emotion in them that connects them both to the song, but to a different, deeper level of themselves. You can't win the part if you ain't risking. Tell you all 
Stone playing Don't Say I Love You with bandmate Tejas Lear Hayden. You can find Hannah's music and some of the videos filmed right on Harrison Street at her Instagram account at Hannah Bigstones. So it was only one year ago over Valentine's weekend that we here at the hearth were celebrating our 10-year anniversary. We held a gathering with over 450 people, gave out free cake, had local wines, live music, and as is our tradition, we invited six local people to share a story, this time on the theme of love. Our last storytellers that night were musician Dan Sherrill, who plays the theme music for this podcast, and his partner and founder of the Ashland Folk Collective, Jackie Albert. Together, they told their love story. So I grew up in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, which is a small town on the suburbs of Philadelphia, where the mainline trains of Center City, Philadelphia meet the horse and buggies of Amish country. It's a very bucolic pastoral place that I had the pleasure of growing up in. There's a log cabin in downtown Downingtown, which is 10 by 5, maybe, and apparently Abraham Lincoln uh, slept one night there in 1860-whatever. It's our little claim to fame. Up the road from that small cabin uh, is a small elementary school called Brandywine Wallace Elementary School. It's up on the hill. We had a music teacher who said that she was 125 years old. And in my 10-year-old self, I believed it. But I couldn't believe it, but I still believed it. 
And I was there in fifth grade. And so was I. And the summer before fifth grade, I had prayed and prayed that I would get Mr. Miller and then my two best friends, Kristen Huxta and Kelvy Clark, would be there with me. And when the school year started, that's exactly what happened. And it was the best year of my entire life to date. But what I didn't expect was that I would have my first big girl crush. And my first memory of Dan Cheryl was during attendance. Mr. Miller was calling, you know, calling to make sure everyone was there. And I looked across the room and I'd see Dan Cheryl's little desk, and he wasn't there. It's my first memory of this crush. And I remember this, like, sadness in my heart. He's not here today, and it would just kind of carry with me through the day. I felt similarly about her best friend. (laughs) Kelvy Clark. She was this mousy, cute girl that had brown corduroys on, and I wanted to cut construction paper with her and play Oregon Trail with her, and I wanted to draw on the desks and eat erasers with her. So we move on to middle school. Jackie and I still go to the same school. We move on to high school. We keep each other kind of at arm's length. I thought about taking her to the prom, and I realized shortly thereafter that she had a boyfriend with a WRX, which is a sports car. And it has twin turbos. And I said, I drive a Volvo. And you probably don't want to go to the prom with me. Plus, he's your boyfriend. You probably want to go with him. (laughs) So I did not ask her to the prom. I go to the University of Pittsburgh, where I study music. And my senior year of college, I go back to Downingtown during Thanksgiving. And it's a tradition in uh, the East Coast of the United States. Maybe it is here, too where the day before Thanksgiving is a high school reunion of sorts. And I was 21, so I no longer had to use a fake ID. And I went to the bar with my friends, a bar called Brickside, and there was bricks in there and TVs, and it was the quintessential kind of suburban Philadelphia uh, bar. And I go there, and I don't even drink at the time. I'm a vegetarian, but I go with my friends because it's fun. It was kind of fun but it was mostly fun when something special happened. I had been at that bar all night on the other side of the bar. And um, I was having a pretty mediocre time. I remember just having conversations and not connecting with people and remembering why I had left Downingtown and went to a different college. And, And so I was heading out the door and I see Dan. And I still, like through the years, had kept this like, There's just this something in my heart that was like, this person is different. And so I see Dan as I'm leaving the bar, and he's sitting at a booth, and he's wearing like a a corduroy blazer. He looks like a young professor, and he's like 21. He just stands out. Like, everyone else is wearing like jerseys and pop collars. Like, he's just this odd character. And so I sit down, and we start talking, and and we had actually both just come back from um, studying abroad. Dan was in Argentina, and I was in Australia. And we're just connecting in this way that I, had, I hadn't connected with anyone that night. Dan likes to, to tell it that I had a, a digital camera, which was like the height of technology at that time. 
And I was showing him pictures from my trip, and I had this, like, super hot older Australian boyfriend and who, like, took me on helicopter rides. Mm-hmm. That's what Dan remembers. I did not remember Totally that. true. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He, he also likes to tell the story where he comes up to me um, instead of me coming up to him, but that's also not true. Okay. Um, and so we connect, and it's like I get the courage, and I tell Dan, um, I had a big crush on you. Like, it's, it's the first time I'm kind of, you know, sharing that I have these feelings of, like, like for Dan. And so I tell him, Dan, in fifth grade, I had a crush on you. And we leave that bar, and I think, damn, she has a boyfriend again. <laughs> I go back to the University of Pittsburgh, where I finished my degree in music. And I graduated in 2008 at the height of the Great Recession. Looking for a job as a musician is super hard. Looking for a job as a musician when nobody's hiring anybody for anything is triply hard. So I was in Downingtown looking for work as a fresh graduate, and I got a message on this new platform called Facebook. And it was, at that point, it was kind of just for college students. And I read it, and it's from Jackie Albert. And I think, hmm, okay, what does it say? She says, hey... I'm super bored. You should come over and go swimming. And I said, today? (laughs) And so Dan comes over, and I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Like, he's a cute boy. He's super cute. And I loved him in fifth grade. So I'm like, it could be friends. It could be more. Whatever. We'll see what happens. And so we go downstairs in the basement to where we can, you know, go to the pool. And he comes out of the bathroom, and he's got his bathing suit on. And he's wearing a Speedo. (laughs) But, like, not a sexy James Bond Speedo. Like... Like bloomers, like shorts, but like baggy and also tight in weird places. Like it's. I still have them. He still has them. And um, so. And so I'm like, sweet, we're gonna be friends. This is awesome. (laughs) And so we spend the rest of the summer. Me mending my heart, us like cultivating this friendship um, and, and just doing all the kind of weird things that we'd want to do, like go to a park and then sit there and not talk or, um, you know, go to the lake and canoe and just not go to the bars. And um, one day, you know, it's, it's August, it's Philadelphia, it's super humid and hot. And on the way home, we stop at the Brandywine Creek and we go swimming in the Brandywine Creek and it's this really slow moving um, brown greenish creek that we both love. It's like, it, it's not that beautiful, but it's like our home, you know, it's where we grew up. It's like our water. And so we go swimming and there's kids there and I'm playing with all these kids. And, and then I, you know, after a little while, I, I turn around and I look at Dan and he's laying on this huge rock and he's smiling at me. And he has this smile that's like his whole face. And in my heart, I'm like, oh, Dan's in love. And I was wearing that Speedo, too. <laughs> and so from that moment, I realized this isn't, this isn't platonic anymore. So we drive home from the creek, and I'm driving my Volvo to her parents' house. And we get into the driveway, and I'm, I'm nervous because I'm about to ask her a question. And I go... 
<sighs> Can I kiss you? And I say no. So I drive home. <laughs> Then I move to New York City. <laughs> <clears throat> and there starts my relationship with Jackie that is confusing and beautiful and intimate, electric when we're together, hard when we're not. She moves back to Australia. So I get this idea after I spend my time in New York City that I'm going to go to where there's no tall buildings, where there's more sheep than people, and where Lord of the Rings was filmed. So I go to New Zealand. Luckily, or fortunately in some way, Jackie's in Australia, so I think I'm going to get her to come visit me and we're going to be in love. We're going to do this. And we had exchanged a long, long few months of love emails together. So I went to New Zealand with this idea that we're going to have this beautiful, beautiful trip. I'm going to rent a van. We're going to be in a eight by six vans sleeping together in this beautiful country, seeing all these hot springs and mountains. And she agrees to come. A few weeks before this trip happened, I met a new man. So I go to New Zealand and, um, and I spend a whole month with Dan in a van being platonic again. It was bad. <laughs> I didn't know about the other guy. And so we're in the car 24-7, driving from the tip of the North Island to the tip of the South Island, going to all, the, the most amazing places in the whole world, but with just this incredible tension between us. Our car drove beautifully, but the stereo system was in Korean. And so we couldn't use it. The radio didn't work, and then we, we went and we had purchased five CDs. We're like, okay, we'll get the, our favorite CDs. That will last us for the whole month. Well, the CD player would only play one song off of one of the CDs that we had gotten from the Goodwill called Golden Oldies, and it would play Raindrops Keep Falling in My Head. <laughs> Raindrops Keep Falling in My Head. Mm. And so that was the only song we listened to for a whole month. And we listened to it like 200 times. And I would beg Dan, like, please, can I have my, like, my song allotment for the day? We also played a game called the movie game, which I don't know if you've played it, but it's where one person describes the movie and then the other person guesses it. And so I would describe a normal movie and then Dan would guess it. And then Dan would describe the Lion King. And then I would guess it. And then... I would describe another movie, Dan would guess it, and he'd describe The Lion King again. It's a very complex story. And he would trick me for like a few seconds. I was like, this isn't The Lion King again, is it? And he's like, no, no, I promise. <laughs> you know, and then at night, we get into our shared bed and basically torture ourselves for a whole month. <clears throat> so at the end of that trip, we are no longer friends. It's done. It's a hard done between us. I moved back to Pennsylvania and I find myself in Portland, Oregon. I wanted to find New Zealand in the United States and I found it in Portland. So I'm up there and I have my feet on the ground and I know that Jackie still has a part of my heart. Like we never really saw this experience through. 
I had a job, I was playing music up there, and I had a somewhat steady girlfriend that I wanted to potentially see if I could love her as much as I loved Jackie. So shortly thereafter, Jackie moves to Ashland, Oregon. And I think that little town, I drove through there, there's like a gas station. <laughs> I did not go downtown at all. I was completely mistaken of what, how beautiful this town is. So she invites me for Thanksgiving in 2011. And I come down and I had this plan that I was gonna break up with her. <laughs> I knew that we were not together. <laughs> but I needed my sovereignty back. <laughs> so Thanksgiving happens. We're walking on Tyler Creek Road in the Green Springs. The stars are shining. It's a crisp, beautiful autumn day. And I say, man, I'm about to say something to her that's really potentially going to change my life. And here it goes. Jackie, I know we're not together, but I need to break up with you. And when he says that, I just take a second and in my heart, I'm like, oh, I love Dan Cheryl. <laughs> and I say to him, that's funny because I'm ready to commit to you. That was eight years ago. <laughs> and we've been in a committed relationship ever since. <laughs> it was really hard at times to to allow myself to come back to this relationship and I'm very very grateful that I did I learn more about intimacy every day the good parts of intimacy are ecstatic and joyous and joyful and the hard parts of intimacy are very vulnerable dark scary but to share that with somebody that you love is really special. And so at the end of the day, Dan and I have created this life where our home is covered with my artwork on the walls and his instruments. And we sit at an antique table and light candles that I've made. I still have love in my heart like I did for Dan in fifth grade. I do, will you get back over here? I do have one more thing to say. Last week, I asked a jeweler to make a ring for me. And I met her yesterday. So looking back, you know, it feels like it was 10 years ago we were all together like that. What do you remember of that night? Well, I remember that it was a perfect night to propose because before we told our story, I was so nervous that I wasn't paying attention to, like, the fact that all of our friends were there and that Dan was being weird. My sister was like, Dan's being a little different. I was like, no, that's just Dan. I was just like so focused on not screwing up the story that it was a perfect cover for Dan to like get a ring and plan this thing that I just did not suspect. 
One thing that I remember is when we were leaving our house to go to the storytelling event, when we left, I was concerned because apparently uh, Jackie's niece, our niece, had found the ring in the house. And she's not necessarily one to hold a secret. She's one to kind of let the secret out of the box. And, and as we were leaving, I was like, well, I wonder if she told Jackie or if Jackie found out or we're about to, find, I don't know if Jackie knows. <clears throat> and we walked to the car and Jackie, as we're walking to the car, she goes, you know, Dan, maybe we shouldn't even get married. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, she doesn't know. So, so what has it been like for you guys through this time? It's a lot more pressure on your relationship when, you know, the what, the first two or three months we're just quarantining at home, just just the two of us. Maybe we're a little more suited for quarantining because we're used to, you know, being on the road or living in 300 square feet together and just, like, always being in each other's space. So maybe we had, like, four years of quarantining when we were in a band together and we are just kind of used to it. But, you know, then past that, Life isn't so different for us because we are kind of homebodies. So, you know, on a typical Friday or Saturday night, we'll be home doing the same thing that we're doing on like a Tuesday night. I would concur with that, that, you know, when the the first lockdown happened, I thought, well, there goes all the plans for the summer. And then I thought, well, I could just write music all the time. And for me, it wasn't such a... A jarring a transition. What I've learned through this experience too is that artists, musicians, creative people adapt. You know, I went back and heard the story you guys told. And one of the things that cracks me up, Jackie, is you keep calling that song that you were listening to over and over in New Zealand as raindrops falling in my head. Oh. <laughs> when the song is falling on my head. But I thought that's how bad it got is it was actually falling in your head. In my head, yeah. <laughs> have you guys ever listened to that song together since that time? Um, yes, we yeah. have. I put it on and Dan immediately was like, turn that off. the wedding is off turn that off (laughs) (laughs) the wedding's off if you don't turn that off (laughs) well it's so good to hear you guys' voices thanks you guys and thanks for your story and um hopefully see you soon thanks for what you do too raindrops are falling on my head and just like the guy whose feet are too big for his Most of us are terrible at love. Here it is, the most important human quality. It's what gives life meaning and purpose. And we're terrible at it. But the great thing is, love doesn't care. It seeks us out anyways. Calls to us in the voice of the young woman singing from across the street. Waits patiently within the mountains and trees brown rivers of Pennsylvania glares at us obnoxiously in the weird baggy speedos of our partner runs to us with the excitement of dogs washes over each of us in the raindrops that fall like grace from the sky and what is mask wearing and social distancing and all the care that so many of us are taking to protect one another what is that if not signs of our care and love for one another. And even now, even now in this podcast, my voice, the music, the stories, the work of sound engineers, all of this is a message 
like the whisper of a secret admirer saying, you are the cutest one in the sophomore class. So one year ago, we were crowded in a room, 450 of us on our feet were applauding, tears in our eyes as Dan and Jackie became engaged. Dan got his guitar and together, the two of them as Hollis Peach, their performing duo, closed the evening with a final song. Like the curves of a heart 
my chest like a drum, like a smoking cigar. My bones, my body, my delicate heart. Mm. My darling love, my oldest friend. Why must we say goodbye again? One day we'll die like lovers do. You remember me? I'll remember. We are one town, one small community here along the Oregon-California border, trying to stay sane in an insane time. Our future bound up with similar people in other towns in Peru, Serbia, Vietnam, South Africa, and other countries across the globe, with people just like us hoping to love and be loved. And where are we headed? Well, nobody knows. But our future is bound together. We are bound together. And love, love is found in one another. Homebound Oregon is produced by The Hearth out of Ashland, Oregon, with support from the Ford Family Foundation and the Jackson County Cultural Coalition. Guitar and piano accompaniment by Dan Sherrill. Sound recordings by Tom Frederick. Noah Catton is our sound engineer. And I'm your host, Mark Iaconelli. For more information on The Hearth and Homebound Organ, go to thehearthcommunity.com. <laughs>